I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It is good to see you today. I knew that it would happen. But uh, some of you who have uh, been coming on a regular basis, you're going to have to sit somewhere else because somebody sat in your seat. And it happened to several of you, I think, as you came in today. But uh, good to see you. A little bit bigger crowd. I don't know whether it is uh, simply because it is uh, uh, first day of spring or because we do have more faces maybe than we've had in a long time for our first service. But a sense of uh, excitement in the air. Good to see you today. Man, we're excited. Know that the Lord, thank you so much, uh, Aaron and Sarah. Thank you for leading us in worship today. And uh, they've got me up here in plenty of time. Doesn't mean you're going to get out early. We might, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But go to find Joshua chapter 2 today. We are continuing our series called Moving Forward, It's About Time having everything to do with how we want to move forward spiritually in our lives and uh, be ready to follow the direction the Lord is leading us. It does have everything to do with we want to be able to move forward as a church. We're following, seeking to follow God's vision plan for our church here at Parkway. and uh, We know it's about reaching more people for Christ. It's about honoring and glorifying His name. We want to be a part of that. We're going to learn some lessons from Joshua uh, this week and next week. And, and we are also preparing for Easter Sunday. Is that two weeks from today? Two weeks from today is Easter Sunday, so we'll be getting ready for that. Even in our lessons from Joshua, even though we're in the Old Testament, we'll be part of that preparation time uh, for that. And, and uh, we're also having a Wednesday night. We were going to begin this past Wednesday, and we know there were some people who had storms. We had some thunder clouds, I think, but, uh, uh, but we did not have Wednesday night activities. But even if you're not a, maybe a, you're not a, a usual Wednesday night uh, person, we'll be right here along with our men's study, ladies' study. We're right here in the sanctuary. We're going to be having a, a study called It's All About Easter. It's a J.D. Greer study, and we're going to be part of that 6.15 on Wednesday nights for the next three or four weeks because we probably a week or two after Easter. We'll see about combining that as well. But we're going to be talking about all about Easter because we celebrate the resurrection every time we get together and be part of what we're doing on Wednesday night in preparation for that. And then also, uh, preparation, we're going to be, we're getting ready for a third service on Easter Sunday. When to put that third service? And we're going to do it at 6.26 in the morning. 6.26 is sunrise service. Now, for some of you, you're early risers anyway, and you can come and be a part of that, but we're anticipating. We had well over 600 the last time we had Easter services because we did not have Easter service can't even believe it, but we did have Easter service last year, and uh, so we, except online we did, and uh, but we're having it live and in person uh, in two weeks, and so we got a 626, and then also have our 9 and our 1030 plus Sunday schools, all those things will be happening. Why would you want to come to Easter sunrise service at 626? Because it will be similar to the other services. It won't be like sometimes you can to Easter sunrise service, it's different from the other services. It'll be similar to the service. You want to come, maybe you're an early riser and it's just your kind of thing. It could be that uh, you may want to think about others because we're going to ask you if you come to the first service, don't come back to the second or the third unless you want to stand or be a greeter. We can, we'll find some place for you to greet uh, because we're, not, we're anticipating there won't be lots of room because so, we're encouraging people to come. And there'll also be a couple of surprises in the early service. I'm preaching on Matthew 6.26 in each service. Remind us why you might want to come early, but you could come early for others uh, for that service as well, and I'd be a part of it. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but it seems like every time that uh, my family has a family outing, whether it's a family day, excursion, or vacation, 
sometime during that family outing, it's gonna, we're going to end up at a shopping center somewhere. We're going to end up at a mall, outlet center, somewhere. And I guess that's okay. There's usually something for everyone. There may be, you know, they've got jewelry and clothes, I guess. And then the, there's usually something that has to do with... Uh, electronics, you know, there's a Best Buy, usually sporting goods, and might even be a hardware store that may be close by, so there's something for everyone, but usually the only part I'm really looking forward to, and my favorite part, is to come to the food court, and there's a couple of restaurants there that do something unusual from all the other restaurants, or at least a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away before March of this year. Uh, of this past March 2020. They used to do this anyway. But you'd actually go and there's do something at the Chinese restaurant. What do they do? They put up on the counter, they put a piece of sesame chicken with a toothpick in it. And you can come and you've actually got to go up there and you can try the sample of the toothpick. Sometimes I send my family, we walk by half a dozen times so we can all get a toothpick or if they don't want them, I'll bring them to me. And then there's another restaurant that not only do they have something that you can walk up to, but you can actually... They actually come out into the flow of the crowd at certain times, send an employee sometimes in the flow of the crowd so that you can pick up a Chick-fil-A nugget, all to advertise so that you might make an investment to come and eat Chick-fil-A. Now, it must work because every time I go to, we go to a food court, guess what we eat? We either eat Chinese or we eat Chick-fil-A or we eat both as you come along. Now, I know this is a dangerous thing to talk about in the morning maybe that you have not even eaten breakfast yet and you're already thinking about what you're going to be eating for lunch but but I'm going to ask you and encourage you maybe to come back with me for just a moment because could it be since Jesus is the bread of life we who know and love him and are trying to be more like him we need to get more into the flow of traffic while we're not the bread we are to be the samples and the we are to be the examples People can experience so they might be influenced to come and invest their life into the eternal as they come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is the theme of the book of Joshua. Because now as they are coming into the promised land, they're coming not only for themselves, but they are to be. They may not have always realized it and followed it, but they are to be the light of the world. And it is the place in which Jesus would be born the one who is the bread of life. And as people flowed by, they were to be influenced by God's people. While most of the people presently living in the land of Canaan, as we come to the story here, they were to be destroyed in battle, they to be run out of the land. One unlikely person becomes a convert to the God of Israel and in turn saves herself and her family. I want to tell you the story of Rahab this morning and then I want to share with you some of the lessons that we can learn. If you know the story of Rahab at all, you might be thinking this is not really the kind of woman that we can learn a lot of lessons from. As a matter of fact, this story might even have a PG rating or worse. Let me tell you the story though. And then we're going to look at different scripture passages because you want to have your Bibles open and be able to look at the, some of the passages we're going to talk about as we make application. Now the Israelites after 40 years in the wilderness they were preparing to cross over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. Led by Joshua after Moses has died. And Joshua too seems, it seems to be kind of a side story. At first glance, it really seems not necessary to the rest of the book. As a matter of fact, if you went from Joshua 1 to Joshua 3, it might even seem to flow a little bit better and not miss a beat. 
But Joshua 2 was included for a reason, and hopefully we will see why it is so significant. Joshua sent two spies into the promised land for reconnaissance work. They're going to scout out the land, especially Jericho, and see about the people and what they know and what they're thinking. And Jericho would be a key city militarily, but especially there are lessons to be learned about putting faith in God and being obedient. This is unlike the reasons that 12 spies were sent out some 38 or 40 years earlier when they get into the land, because they were going into the land to see if they might possess it. Here Joshua knows, and he is sure that they're going to go over, they're going to possess the land, possess the land, but he is doing what he is, should be doing so that they might be ready for what's going to take place. In Jericho, the men find a place to lodge in Rahab's house. Rahab was a lady of the evening. She is what some, bio, some translations call a harlot. She was a prostitute. Now she probably ran some kind of inn and it was not uncommon for the inns also to serve as brothels or places of ill repute. Do you have any questions yet? Well, we're not to assume the two spies were involved in any kind of immoral acts, but God led them to Rahab's house because at her place God was going to do a saving work. I remember at a former church I announced for the Mother's Day sermon, we're, Mother's Day sermon is going to be on Rahab the harlot. You might believe that I got more than a few comments that we were heading in that direction. I don't think I've preached on Rahab during Mother's Day as of yet. But it could be sometime in the future when you forget we've talked about it. But the king of Jericho had heard about the Israelites and about the two spies and that they had come to Rahab's house. The king of Jericho found out so much for the reconnaissance work. So much for being undercover because now the king not only knows the Israelites are coming, they know the two spies are there, and they know they are at Rahab's house. So they, the king sent his men to Rahab's house to bring the men out and in order to deal with them as you might deal with spies. And so as they come and they, the, people, the king's men come to Rahab's house, Rahab says, yes, they were here, but I did not know where they were from. And they have left. They left out the gate, uh, trying to get out before the gate closed for the night. And they just left. But if you'll hurry, I believe you can catch them. And the men left and they went uh, off and they, Rahab hid uh, the spies upstairs. Rahab lied. Now we're not going to spend too much time probably talking about or even... Uh, giving reasons for Rahab's lies. But what we will say, I guess, is the Bible is descriptive. In other words, we can trust the Bible to always say what really happened. Is lying ever okay? It is not. Even in this case, it is not. But we sure don't want to spend too much time and maybe miss the real application that needs to take place here and get bogged down. Suffice to say that it is never okay to lie, so we need to learn to always speak the truth in love, or at the best, keep your mouth shut and trust God with the rest. But Rahab goes to the roof and she tells the men that she has learned all that God has done for them and that she believes in the God of Israel. That will become a significant part of the story. And she asks a favor. She says, when you come, and I know that you're going to be destroying Jericho, she realizes that's going to take place. And she says, when you do, she says, could you... Could you save my family? Could you spare the life of my family? I have to go looking back and see, but I don't even think she asked to spare her own life. But 
her life and the life of her family. And they agreed that she will keep quiet, that they will spare her life and all who remain in the house. Now her house is built in the wall of Jericho. Now it could be that there were actually two walls that were going side by side around because of the so we talk about sometimes how we'll talk more when we get to the Jericho about the big walls around Jericho and how they came tumbling down. But to live within the walls or in or on the walls of Jericho probably was not a prestigious thing to do. In fact, it probably referred to the fact that she lived, lived in a shady part of town or a poor part and she lets them down out the window. The gates have closed. She lets them out by a rope out the window so that they can go and hide in the hills until the coast is clear. Now the token by which they would keep the promise of sparing everyone in the house, everyone who would be in the house when they came and Jericho fell, it was that she was to put a scarlet cord in the window. And the deal was that whoever was in the house when the destruction of Jericho came would be saved. Whoever was not in the house would be destroyed with Jericho. And the Bible tells us that as soon as they left, Rahab hung a scarlet cord out her window. The spies went, they hid out three days in the hills until the pursuers stopped looking for them. Then they went back and they told Joshua all the things that they had seen and how the people felt and how they knew that they were coming, but their hearts were melting and they were were fearful because they were coming. Yes, there are some lessons that we can learn from the story of the two spies and Rahab. Now, this idea of being a spy some may be fascinating a little bit, and I guess because of the danger involved. One of the most famous real-life double agents in U.S. history was a fellow by the name of Aldrich Ames. Ames was a mid-level Democrat who worked for the CIA who yielded to the easy money of espionage. The Russian KGB paid him millions of dollars over a nine-year period, and apparently no one ever noticed about his brand-new Jaguar that he drove or his million-dollar home that he lived in on a government salary. But after 30 years in the CIA, Ames gave enemies of the U.S. highly sensitive military secrets and information about moles, U.S. secret agents within the KGB. Hundreds went to prison in Russia or were executed because of Ames' information, but he got caught. And he went to prison... Uh, almost three decades ago, his wife has now served her term. She's now living in South America, and he is in prison for life. Why would governments pay so much to turn someone into their secret agent? It's because sometimes information is so very useful for the operation that they can learn something from someone who is on the other side. It can be a key to success. Well, this morning, we're going to learn information from someone who was on the other side about how we might be able to fulfill our purpose and our mission. Now, our purpose is that we might glorify God. Our mission is that we are to make disciples. In fact, part of our vision as we talk about the next few years, it is that we, it, we've kind of used these words, it is new people, new life, next steps. It's introducing new people to Jesus so that they might be able to have new life and walk in their next steps of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we can learn some of the lessons, not only will we be able to grow as disciples, but we'll go a long way in helping and influencing others who have yet to experience a relationship with Jesus. So you see kind of, if you got your notes there, you can see kind of a subtitle there called Life Lessons Learned from the Lost. 
God may have been working in Rahab's life long before the Israelites came to her town. She may have been the reason the spies were led there. You've heard the biblical principle about finding out where God is working and then joining in where he's working. Well, read, read what Rahab knew in verses 8 through 10. We're going to put those also on the screen. Joshua 2 verses 8 through 10 says this, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came up out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now here was Rahab. She was a woman of the world. She knew what the world had to offer. Her worldly lifestyle, what the gods of her religion had to offer, didn't measure up. But when confronted with the truth of the God of Israel, she knew there was something different. There's always talk about being wise to the ways of the world. Well, here was Rahab. She was wise to the ways of the world, maybe more so than many other people in that city of Jericho. And she found that the ways of the world did not measure up. The world did not give her genuine, living, or lasting peace. And then Rahab hears about all the things that the God of the Israelites had done. He parted the Red Sea. He'd given them victory and battles on the other side of the Jordan. God was with the Israelites, and guess what? She believed it all. May we understand the big picture here. Jericho, not to mention all the land of Canaan, was going to be destroyed. Partly because it was the promised land that was going to go to God's people. But also because judgment was coming on these evil people. Do me a favor, look back at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 11. How long was it going to be since the Lord spoke to Joshua till the time in which they were going to go over the land? According to Joshua 1.11, it was going to be three days before. Why was that? Well, there were some physical preparations to be made. There were some spiritual preparations to be made. And also because spies had been sent into the prom or to Jericho and there was a lady by the name of Rahab who would be saved, her and her household. It is true and has always been true that God is patient in not wanting anyone to perish. So what lessons can we learn from the lost? The first one is this. Someone near you is searching. Somebody near you right now is searching. Maybe somebody that you know. Maybe somebody that you don't know yet. But somebody is searching. At your work, in your neighborhood, on your ball team, in your school, even in your home and family and church, God is working in someone's heart. Now, not everyone is open to the gospel of the good news lesson, and sometimes we need to share even when we think people will not listen. Jericho, by some estimates, had thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people living within the walls, but only Rahab was ready to believe. Well, how do you know who's searching? Well, you don't always know, but God knows. And that's why we need to be ready and God's ambassador all the time. But this you may want to write down in your notes, doing God's work, God's way will put you in touch with the right person. You may think sometimes, why do we need to be obedient? Why do we need to be faithful and trust Him? It's because when we do things God's way, we're going to find ourselves in a place and a position so that we might be an influence on others. And the person God is working on, it might not be the person you think. It might not be the person that anybody else has ever noticed. And in fact, it might be the most unlikely person, which probably who Rahab was in Jericho. 
Consider how much of an outsider Rahab really was. She was a Gentile. She was a woman. And she was the, of the lowest moral standards. Does that sound like anybody that you know? I'm talking about, does it sound like anybody you know in the Bible or another part of the Bible in the New Testament? There's a New Testament counterpart perhaps to Rahab. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Samaritan woman. She'd had five husbands and the woman, she, the man she was living with now was not her husband. Boy, it sounds like a reality TV show. In her conversation with Jesus, she even says, I know that a Messiah is coming. And finally, Jesus tells him, I who speak to you am he. She was an unlikely candidate for salvation as anybody you'd ever want to meet. But Jesus knew that she was searching. And she, like Rahab, became a person of faith and influence. And when she met Jesus, after she met Jesus, she went back to the town where she had lived and everybody knew who she was. And notice in John chapter 4 and verse 28, I think I've got that on the screen for you as well. Notice who she tells. The woman then left her water, part, water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, now this is from the, king, the new King James, come see a man who told me all the things they ever did. Could this be the Christ? And particularly she went and told the men. Sometimes a translation, she went and told the people, but it's definitely a masculine translation, masculine noun that is used there in this particular verse. And for the first time, perhaps she felt like she was worth something. Maybe she thought, for the first time, I had a man who looked at me differently. When we experience God, we experience a difference in how we view the world and those around us and how we view ourselves. Psychologists tell us that sometimes you can only feel as good about yourself as the most important person in your life feels about you. Now, husbands, that might put a lot of pressure on how we treat our wives and value our wives. But can I tell you, give you a secret? You're not the most important person in her life, or at least you shouldn't be. Jesus should be the most important person in her life. And once we realize Jesus is the most important person, then we can work at navigating how we also can feel that we are people of worth. And we ought to be able, men, to though work at making them feel like persons of value. But God gave Rahab self-worth, which may have led her to choose to hide the spies and misdirect the soldiers. But by doing so, she risked her own life. She made a, certainly a decision that would not be popular among her own people and crossed the line that she would not be able to return. So Rahab also teaches us something about courage. Courage is essential to following Jesus. Courage is essential to following God. Our, our theme for this series of messages moving forward, it's about time. It takes courage. We're not learning a formula necessarily to make you a courageous Christian, but every step of obedience takes courage. So courage will be needed in the home, in personal and corporate worship, and doing ministry for others, and in moving forward. We, we need to have courage to make decisions which may not always be popular or even understood, but decisions that clearly place us on the side of Jesus. Every day we face decisions that may not be life-threatening, but tough nonetheless. We need to have courage to make decisions of the home. Some decisions, you know, if you're a parent or have been a parent, you know that uh, it's not always favorable to the children. Uh, in your children's eyes or even others. 
It'd be easier to allow your children to do however they please and not discipline. But Proverbs says a lack of discipline is actually a lack of love. But the most courageous parent does what? Loves their children unconditionally. Does what do, seeks to do what is right and best regardless of the cost. Unconditional love is needed for your spouse and it takes courage. And even for extended family and it takes courage. Takes courage also in your involvement in personal and corporate worship. It requires courage in the world we live. Now, everybody understands you can't be at church every time the doors are open. Well, we know that. But imagine a family in this day and time. And all the things that we faced in the past year and the busy activities that seem to get busier and busier, particularly if you've got family involved in activities and ball games, you've got social things. All the things that you do on Saturday night, by the way, Sunday preparation actually probably should begin on Saturday night, you understand. All those things happening, and yet imagine your family having a legacy. You know, we were busy, we did a lot of stuff, but when it came to Sunday worship, wherever we were, we did not miss. They're going to forget all the ball games. They're going to forget all the outings and all the social life. But a family who puts an emphasis on worshiping God in church and has family worship and encourages personal worship as important will influence generations to come. It takes courage also to, in, the, uh, in true ministry that's done in the name of others. It will require daring audacity to serve others and to put other people before yourself. It takes courage in moving forward with Christ because th these messages on moving forward, I, I hope we, they're directly related to moving toward a sense of normalcy. But think about the actions that you'll be taking and the attitude that you have today and in the days to come. What will they say about your priorities and what you are teaching your children and other family members and friends about what is most important? Hopefully you'll be teaching the relationship with Jesus is most important and being involved in His church is not just another activity to take or to leave while other activities are taking priority. Your family and others will be influenced if you have the courage to make the tough decisions. We, we live in a world today which needs people who have the gumption to do what is right and that can only come from God's people and genuine believers in Jesus. Speaking of courage, one of, the, one of the men's studies that was called Stepping Up, A Call to a Courageous Manhood. One of the lessons uh, one week was on true courage and the writer quoted these famous theologians. John Wayne said, Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. General George Patton said, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And Billy Graham, the only true theologian amongst this group, Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. Courage will influence the world in a positive way and open doors for more people to hear the good news. Rahab's courage saved the spies and opened the doors for saving her family. And when I think I mean saved her family, I think I mean both physically and spiritually had not only consequences for today, but consequences for eternity. So what's the main lesson for the true story? Not necessarily there in your notes, but what's the main lesson? The main lesson is that this prostitute, this follower of Canaanite gods, this liar, 
God's grace touches her life and she will be changed and transformed as she places her faith in the living God. Now, best part of this chapter is verse 11. It is her profession of faith which is told in verse 11. I think we also may have that on the screen as well. If it comes up, there it is. And as soon as we heard it, it says, Our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Last part of the verse says, For the Lord's your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Listen, just a few words there, but she said a lot. First of all, she lets us know that he is above all gods. Now, Canaanites had many gods they worshipped. But the God of Israel was the God that was above all other gods who are not gods at all. And then not only that, she said that he is the only God. And she makes it personal. She calls God by his first name. Now, there are many Canaanite gods that are known by the names such as Baal and Asherah, Marduk and Ishtar. But here she calls God by His name. Notice the capital L-O-R-D, which means that's being used there is the word that was used that God said to Moses was His name. And it was Yahweh, as we pronounce it. Or the Latin, Jehovah. For Yahweh, your God, He is God, the one and only. And she dressed Him every other time, not just as your God, but the God or the Lord recognizing also that He is sovereign Lord. In verse 11, again, He's the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is sovereign. All things are under His control and authority. What's necessary for salvation? By the way, in case you're wondering, the same thing that's necessary for salvation in the New Testament and today is the same thing that it was necessary for salvation in the Old Testament is repentance and faith. Rahab repented. She turned from her old life and from the gods of her people to embrace Yahweh, Jehovah God, and she believed by faith. Romans 10, 9 says, If you believe in your heart, confess you with your mouth, you will be saved. Why was Rahab saved? Not because she hid the spies or struck up a deal, but by grace through faith. Well, if we need to understand, is that really what that's saying? Well, the New Testament writers lets us know. Hebrews Chapter 11 and verse 31 tells us that it was by faith that she did not perish with others who did not believe or who were disobedient. And then James talks about Rahab also in James 2.25 tells us also that when she received the spies and she sent them out another way, it was evidence of her faith. Thus, what other lesson can you learn from this lost person? Profess your faith before others. We profess our faith when we first become believers. We're asked to. Once we ask Christ to come in, we're asked to make a public profession of faith and let others. We're to continue to profess our faith for others. What evidence is there in your home or in your life of your faith? What difference is Jesus making? Are, are, are you daily professing before others your personal relationship with God and that He is the sovereign God? Your personal relationship makes a difference. You profess. How do you profess? You profess by your words and by your actions and by your attitudes. And then, then Rahab makes a request of the two spies. We talked about it earlier. And, it, and then the request, it really shows her compassion. Verses 12 and 13 uh, of, verse, of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. She, 
she's asking for the salvation of her family. She can't save them herself, and ultimately it's going to be each member's decision to join her in her belief. But she's doing all that she can to help her family know and experience salvation. And she's doing two things here. One of those things is she intercedes on behalf of her family. Please save my family, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all who belong to them. Don't stop praying for your family and your friends and lost loved ones. For three weeks we had the Who's Your One cards here on our steps of many of you. A couple of hundred, I guess, names or more that were on our steps of lost and unchurched people. Don't stop praying for them. Continue to intercede. And she also made provision. Her home, which had been a den of wickedness, had now become a home of godliness, a safe haven for all who entered. And literally, literally, those inside were saved when destruction came. You know, you know when our children are small, we do all the things to child-proof our home. We take all the breakables and we put them on the chopped shelf. We take all the little plastic things and stick them in the outlets and we take all the cords and wrap them up and do all that we can to keep them from things that might harm them. Why do we ever stop? And we can't child-proof the world. But in our homes, there ought to be things in our home that are not seen or not heard, even though they hear them and see them in the world. There ought to be the presence of godly parents and godly people who love, care, and nurture. There ought to be a putting away the things that might harm their relationship with God and adding things that will help. And then when not only our children, but others come into our home or into our life, they're able to see the things that we've taken away and the things that we've added to so that they also may say that not just being in our house is a safe place, but being around God's people, it's a safe place. We know that it's a place that we can trust that we're going to be influenced in a positive way. So what else do we learn from Rahab? Grow in your care for others. It's evidenced by petition, and provision. Grow in your care for others, and it will be evidenced by petition and provision. Joshua 6 tells about the fall of Jericho after the army of the Lord marched around it for seven days and shouted, blew the trumpets, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But somehow the house of Rahab was not destroyed, though it sat on or within the walls. Imagine the scene in Jericho. All the people are coming out and they're seeing what's happening and before they're destroyed, I guess, perhaps. And, and they see what's happening to the walls of Jericho. Judgment was about to fall. But where do we find Rahab and her family? It's okay. Look ahead. Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Or we've also got those on the screen. It says, But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. You know, they never stopped calling her the prostitute, even in the New Testament. Even though she'd been transformed into other wonderful things. And bring them out that they're, bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who'd been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. A home or a family, a place that's built on the faith of God when the world is shaken... You may be troubled, you may have been troubled the past year about all the things that are happening around you, but having identified with the family of God, we're not only saved, but we're safe in the hands of God. 
Understand what we talk about when we mention safe. It doesn't mean we're, going to, we're not going to face illness. It doesn't mean we're not going to face problems in this world and sometimes even death. But nothing will separate us from the love of God as found in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of safety that is even more important, the most important. From that point on, Rahab was identified with the children of Israel. James tells us her faith was demonstrated by the works, by her works. She's one of only two women in the great family tree of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She, she changed citizenship. In fact, she marries a Jewish man by the name of Salmon. Well, there's a piece of trivia for you. You took that away. Who was Rahab married to? Married to Salmon. Not salmon like the fish, but Salmon. I think that's a color. Salmon like the color, at least the way that it's spelled. Tuck that away somewhere. I wonder if we would accept Rahab into the church today. Or would we say we can't have that kind around here? Look at her past or maybe even her present. Look at her color of her skin, her strange ways. She'll cause nothing but trouble. You know, that would be like uh, saying that sick people can't come into the hospital. We just need doctors and nurses and healthy people around here. Years ago, church I pastored had a hospital right next door to it. Boy, it became convenient. Three times in ten years, people fell out of the church and had to go to the hospital. It was right next door, which was good. One, one, lady, uh, one lady fell out and actually put her in a chair and I rolled her all the way to the emergency room. Another lady fell out and actually put her in the back of the truck, just backed it up, and she was ready to go. Now, having said that, statistically, the church is still, I think even this past, through this past year, church is still the safest place you could be. So if you're at home, you might want to be in a safe place. Church is still the safest place that you can be, statistically speaking. But anyway, church closed down while I was pastor there. So it became an empty place. And I told the church over and over again, I said every time you drive by that empty hospital, did I say the church or the hospital? Hospital closed down. Church did not. That's what I told them. Don't let that be us. But nobody was being helped at the hospital anymore. Don't let that be the church. In fact, we're going to have to decide what kind of church we're going to be. Are we going to be the kind of church that just kind of does things for us, tries to feel comfortable, let's just kind of take care of one another? Let's not reach out to others. You know, I think we've already decided. I think we've already decided that we want to be a church that is a hospital for sinners. We want the spiritually broken to be able to come for help. And not just here on this campus, but to the people of Parkway. We want to be a church that continues to send you out. Go look for those people who are spiritually broken. Go look for those people that you know right now, God knows, are searching. Somebody you know is searching. Somebody needs to come to know Christ. Somebody needs to know the love of Jesus in you. Now, what difference does this seemingly small, insignificant story make? You already know the significance. Who did Rahab marry? Not the fish, but the color. Salmon. You know they had a little boy by the name of Boaz? And the story of Boaz comes one of the great love stories of the Bible as he meets and marries that young lady we know as Ruth. Boaz and Ruth, they have a little boy, but his name is Obed. Obed also has a little boy by the name of Jesse, who is the father of King David. Uh, now the plot thickens, doesn't it? But even more important, Rahab is the ancestor of Joseph and Mary. She's the great, 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 great 
grandmother of King Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 gives the genealogy of Jesus that bears the name for all generations to come. Rahab the harlot. It's not just a story. It's his story of how God is providing for all generations to come. And if you think that you might be an unlikely person to make a difference in your home or in your church or in your community or anywhere else for the kingdom, you might be just the kind of person God wants to use. Rahab trusted God and trusted in the God of Joshua. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Some have made much about that scarlet cord that was left out of the window. Whenever there was a covenant or a promise made, there was often a sign of significance, something that represented the promise, and there was the scarlet cord. Many have talked about that scarlet cord and the significance of the scarlet and the blood of Jesus because Jesus left us something with the promise, and it's the body and the blood of Jesus. As we take communion, we understand that. So there are some parallels but for everyone who places their faith in Christ, we know it's covered by the blood of Jesus. But I think what's significant in the story that as soon as the spies left, according to chapter 2 and verse 21, she tied the scarlet cord in the window to identify herself and her home with God's people and with Israel's God. So there's one more lesson that we can learn from the lost. Be identified with God's family. Be identified with the Lord Jesus. I invite you to identify with Jesus today. And I don't necessarily mean by a red cord out the window or a fish on your car or even by a t-shirt that you wear or a wrist, a bracelet you wear on your wrist. But identify by the unconditional love that Christ has shown you and by being faithful and obedient in all things that He has asked us to do so that we might be an influence with others. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can identify today with Him and learn from the lesson of Rahab by repenting of sin and placing your faith in her God, whom we know ultimately through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house today. We thank You, Father, on this first day of spring, reminding us that You're the God of new beginnings. Today can be a new beginning for each one of us as we commit ourselves once again to you or we pray for those maybe who've been away that need to be drawn close. We pray for those, Father, who don't know you at all, that do not know Jesus, that today might be the day of their salvation. Thank you for the new beginning we can have in Christ. Today we draw close to you. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the lost. In Jesus Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.